0: Hello everyone and welcome to today's episode of the Volrath Feed. I'm Rich Rupp, product trainer and chef here at the Volrath Company. And as always, and here with us again today, our co-host Justin Pearson. Hey, hey, Justin. Are... Hey
1: Rich. As always, <laughs> here I am with bells on. Yes, yes. <laughs> the
0: crew, the crew is together once again. Awesome.
1: Great show again.
0: And uh, everyone, I just I can't say it enough. Um this segment that we do with Nate's notes we at the end have Nate our good buddy in marketing as well he comes uh, on the show at the end and kind of recaps everything that's going on so stick around for Nate's notes at the end of the Volrat feed I think it's a pretty unique thing that we do here on the feed so make sure to give it a listen all right Justin so we have on our show today a uh, school nutrition consultant who is um, doing a little bit different now. She was a personal chef for a while, classically trained chef, and she's going to be with us talking about what she's doing in schools, or what she's helping schools do, I should say. Her name is Samantha Collins-Gasparo, and uh, she'll be with us a little bit later.
1: Yeah, it still blows my mind how far school nutrition has come over the past 20, 30 years or so, and what type of food they're providing kids, and what type of Not just food, but the education, and then the hands-on—you know—taking part in preparing and growing their 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 own meals. And it's—I'm jealous. I wish I wish we had some of those opportunities (laughs) growing up. Because we've we've talked before at great length about um, our school lunch experiences, and they were memorable in their own way. You know, -hmm. I'll say that memorable. (laughs) But it's really good to see that there's people that are. And people always have been passionate about about children's nutrition, but to see it actually have they? Well, they've found better ways uh, to actually incorporate it as far as budget, you know and we, as a society, as, as humanity, I believe, we've grown a lot in the past, oh, tremendously, you know, half century, and um, we realize that, that a, a lifelong love affair with, with good nutrition and good food starts very early it does those those habits I, I i say that
0: somewhat jokingly about the nutrition and, and what people always thought about looking out for the kids because i honestly can remember some of those we had a i think we've talked about it, right we had a hot pack and a cold pack and the hot pack it was it was just um mm, <laughs> wasn't that good i'm going to be honest but uh, <laughs> we all ate it because it was there in front of you yeah and you were taught that's what you eat but the kids had brought bag lunches, sometimes I looked at them and thought, wow, that's that looks much better. And I'm sure their parents maybe took a little bit more interest in what they were eating. But it's just such a difference now that kids are so much more aware. Little kids know food terms. They're, they're like mm-hmm. becoming foodies. You know, we didn't even know what a foodie was when I was a kid. It was just you had chefs and you had people working in food service, and that's what you had. Mm-hmm. So big change, all for the better, of course, and teaching kids early on not only how to eat right but maybe even how to prepare food better
1: yeah and they have a better start at being young adults and eating better yeah and not to say that there's there's plenty of school districts out there who are still plagued with the issues that that we faced when we were school age primary reason is budget everybody would do you know the best school lunch programs with the freshest locally sourced ingredients ingredients if they could but finding creative solutions for school districts that are on a budget you know mm-hmm. having resources that with scalable menu items is is something that i do believe that S- Samantha has available and she she really provides a lot of uh, assistance and guidance for so um, it's nice that there's people out there in her role you know and then you look at well if i'm a school district and we're struggling with budget already How can I afford to bring in a consultant? And and I would offer the argument: How can you afford not to? You know, it's these people are are set up to really save you money in the long run and get you a better product as well, right? But you know, one thing I just kind of thought about
0: as you were talking there, you're right. Cost was the driver, and it was primarily food cost, keeping the food cost low. But what about today's world? You know, we've we've we're upping our game on the food side, but yet. Labor is such an issue, right? Labor costs are going to be a lot higher, mm-hmm. so the balance of, of um, costs there again, keeping food costs or excuse me, total costs down. What are they going to do? Are they going to go back to trying to hmm, keep food food low and uh, eh, sacrifice yeah. some of that quality? I don't know. It's it's all about
1: the dollar, I suppose. It is, you know. Those I think these are good questions for Samantha and what are the ebb and flows of school nutrition? You know, it's, it's always, especially now with inflation out of whack and gas prices. Yes. Surging and yeah. Labor, just labor, just finding people to, (laughs) to fill roles, you Mm -hmm. know, it's, it's madness. And how, how do you take all of those considerations into account and, and then offer a, a consultation that will help a district move forward right well yeah, as
0: usual you and I can sit and banter about this all day
1: <laughs> we can speculate all day long but
0: <laughs> yeah, it does nobody any good no, no <laughs> but we have a solution we are going to bring our guest on the show who is our expert of course on this so we will get right to it with her so once again everyone to remind you Samantha Collins who who is a chef school nutrition consultant <laughs> and executive chef at Healthy School Recipes. Samantha, welcome to the Volrath Feed.
2: Thanks for having me. It's great to be here.
0: You know, we talked a little bit on the front end of the show about schools and our history with nutrition in schools. And and, and maybe if you could just start us out just talking about your role as a teacher and what you're doing to uh, help nutrition in the schools and, and how, how you got into it maybe a little bit of, of what you do.
2: Sure. So I um, come from a culinary background, Johnson and Wales, and um, I just happened to move to a town that um, was hiring a chef for the their school district. And my neighbor was a school nurse and told me to apply and I knew nothing about school nutrition. So I It was kind of my first real nine-to-five out of the kitchen life and working for myself. It was like a real job with benefits, which was exciting. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) As a chef, you know what that's like. Um, Yes. So I um, just kind of fell into it and knew nothing about it and totally spent the first year learning all about the federal regulations, how they feed kids. And I had previously worked at a cooking school for kids and adults in the Boston area while I was personal chefing there. And I absolutely like loved that and saw the value in kids making food and eating food and how powerful that was to changing the way picky eaters eat. And so that's the first thing I did in my school district is I started a cooking club and then I was able through my time there to work on kitchen efficiencies, train the staff on scratch cooking, and by the time I left my school district six years later, we were almost 95% scratch cooking food. We were serving roughly 2,000 kids a day for lunch and probably like 1,800 for breakfast. So we were by far the largest restaurant in town, that's for sure, as most school nutrition Mm. programs are. But (laughs) what was most powerful to me in um, moving forward was how the impact of school nutrition on kind of shifting that needle right, on changing and creating the way people eat in our country and the food culture around even something simple like school nutrition programs. There's this organization called the Urban School Food Alliance, and it's the largest school districts in the country. You know, you have Miami, Dallas, New York, like the really big ones that are serving millions of meals every day. And they have this organization. And when they say to a company You know we don't want antibiotic hormones in our chicken that company says all right we'll work on it because there's they have such a pull with their buying power that then so this is in 2014 that that happened that they made that request and we've really seen that trickle down like even in mainstream like in the grocery store and those changes start to occur so When you're talking about, you know, creating that shift in food culture in our country, I feel like School Nutrition is just the most powerful place to start doing that because 32 million meals at lunches every day. I mean, who serves those crazy numbers? Yeah. Right. (laughs) So it's exciting. You know, it's such an amazing platform.
1: Would it be safe to say that some of the food trends that we experience in the general population are being initiated on the school level? Is that happening? Like with the antibiotic thing? Is that is that where it gained steam or is that where it kind of got its start?
2: I think it gained steam there. I think people have been pushing that for a long time. And, you know, sure. I think it gained steam because I think there's motivation for these companies to create change when you have, you know, saying I'm going to buy millions of pounds from you every two months you know that's that's a big deal so it's kind of that buying power that creates change like i think i was just hearing something the other day where dallas food system or the dallas school nutrition program is creating like their own they're working with a company to directly create a chicken product that's free of any you know unwanted ingredients it's clean label it's antibiotic free and it's just for them to serve to their students like a really nice clean healthy piece of meat for their students you know that that's where it's going so that's where the urban school food alliance in these large districts and then all the smaller districts which is 75% of the country is of the school districts in the country are I think like 5,000 or less or 7,000 or less they're small but the big school districts have that buying power so eventually it trickles down to everyone else. It's kind of an interesting system.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I understand the, 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 the volume, the driver of, of um, some change. But in the, in the uh, retail world or in the commercial world of other food service, uh, cost is still a factor, obviously, mm-hmm. right? So some of these things come at a higher cost. How do you balance that on the school menu when we know that schools typically, at least historically is from what I thought, were highly driven by cost? And then you factor in today's world especially that higher labor cost on top of it all. Again, how are schools yeah. balancing all that?
2: So this is a, a lot of my work has been around this topic, creating kitchen efficiencies and scratch cooking and how you make that work, you know, as you think you, you know, cook once, serve twice, creating these options that really go with multiple menus. And so a lot of my work now, I work with schools in Maine, and I do training um, in different areas of the country, culinary skills, and I train on kitchen efficiencies, because in nutrition minutes seconds matter right if you could move your trash can a little closer and eliminate these steps like you know any chef like this is how we think right when we look at a kitchen like where are the time traps where can we create these changes and so that's really important and needed in school nutrition because they're basically trained on just the person who did it before them it's not necessarily um they're not a lot of People in school nutrition and their employees are just thrown into the job like, all right, here's, you know, 10 cases of bell peppers, go at it. And they've never cut a bell pepper, you know, like that in that sense. So training is really important to create these labor you know, efficiencies and kitchen efficiencies, but you're right. In school nutrition, we want to keep the dollar plate around like a dollar, a dollar 25, but you're able to do this. Like I think that's why chefs in schools are so important because they're always thinking about that, right? They're breaking down minutes. They're breaking down costs, you know, don't cut that carrot end off too much. You just, you know, that's like five cents worth of carrot. You just threw in the trash. Like that's just the way we look at food. Right. And we're thinking that, you know what I'm talking about. Someone lops off the end of a carrot. So, um, so it's you know creating that change but you can do that you know there's ways i think when bigger school districts initiate change like you know creating get working with these companies to create products specifically for school that their their large buying power makes it more affordable for for schools across the country but also eating local is something especially now with food shortages and gas prices going up eating local is really something that schools have been pushing for a while and we had luck in my district. It was like just especially in maine, and i don't know if this happens um, where you guys are, but most of our tourists leave like right around Labor Day, but the farms are still going. So what I used to do with my district is I may had relationships with my farmers, and they'd call me in September and say, "Hey, I got this much squash left over that I'm never going to sell at the farmers' markets so or i got we fell into this farm to school model because a local farm called me to tell me that they had received the wrong seed for their San Marzano tomatoes. And so they couldn't sell them for top dollar because they weren't San Marzano. But They were perfect for me to roast and, You know, I didn't have to core them. I didn't have to do anything like that. I could just roast them, bag them, put them in my freezer and forget the number 10 cans and use this great August flavorful Maine tomato in all our dishes throughout the school year. So I bought like probably 3,000 pounds of this at a very discounted price. And we were able to have these local organic farm tomatoes from 10 miles down the street for our students and eliminate the number 10 can because that's another source of labor costs, right? Cleaning, wiping opening those, not to mention the danger. Mm-hmm. So, you know, seeing these little pockets of change, that's where school nutrition programs can really work their plate costs down.
0: You, you echo exactly what uh, local organization here in Sheboygan, uh, there's others throughout the country, but the Meals on Wheels, the Fresh Meals on Wheels that we have in Sheboygan County, that same exact scenario happens to them. They get 3,000 pounds of carrots one day, and some farmers actually have it in It's like their way of life that they give back x percent of their crop. Mm -hmm. They believe that that's just what you should do is give back. So Meals on Wheels gets these huge influxes of uh, produce, and much like you described. So how do you how do you go about? Did you purchase anything special equipment wise to handle all that influx of of late uh, harvest produce, or how do you handle that in the in the kitchen?
2: with just (laughs) um some manpower you know and some rolling racks is really how we did it and then we we were able to we didn't have special equipment i mean we have equipment in schools to you know we have large um, steam jacketed kettles we have tilt skillets we have ovens combi ovens we have all the things that that you need, luckily, in some of our kitchens. You know, that's a whole other area of school nutrition where it's a problem. You know, the only thing you can count on is that everyone has an oven. People don't even have equipment. I've seen schools with no kitchen and people are serving out of a hallway. I mean, it's like really crazy the demands. Mm. And people are like, can you believe the food? I'm like, yeah, look at the kitchen. <laughs> I'm still in <laughs> <of> a hallway. <laughs> I can.
0: But when you say, st- when you say scratch cooking, I, I think one point of clarity might be: you're not necessarily saying that each school on site is doing scratch cooking, are you? Or are you talking about a central kitchen and then packaging and sending out to the to the schools?
2: So we, uh, in my district that I worked in, we had about 30, uh, probably 3,200 kids, and we had six kitchens, and they were each scratch cooking. We sometimes did a model of a Mm. central kitchen where like our high school made all the muffins and then would, you know, we we drive those and deliver to the schools. Our granola, same way we did in one location because that made sense. But they're preparing, you know, everyone's having mac and cheese. Everyone's preparing mac and cheese on site. Larger districts, it's costs, you know, it's cost effective for them to have a central kitchen. Like you look at a place like Minneapolis, you know, they're doing some great things and they have a sous vide machine right in their central kitchen and, but they're serving, you know, 20, 30,000 meals a day. So that's a different model than the smaller districts. So Mm -hmm. not, not everybody's using a central kitchen. So it depends on the different model.
1: So that 95%, what and that's incredible, and that's amazing, and I, I applaud your effort getting that high. What are the the few things that are just you can't you you're unable to to produce in house? What's that five percent consist of?
2: Yeah, it consists of chicken nuggets. <laughs> the um, you know, <laughs> those are. I try to bread our own chicken tenders, and I came up with a great way to do it, but. There's some things the kids want and it's okay to give it to them. You know, life is all about balance and moderation. As long as we're, you know, we would take that opportunity to serve our chicken nuggets with a brown rice and quinoa pilaf because we know the kids are going to take it. So let's just like expose them to this, you know, different grain and healthy grain while, while we're at it. So that was kind of our model that when we were using something like that, a pre-packaged or pre, you know, processed chicken nugget. We would pair it with something that that made us feel good about our our food moral code, you know, because you want to balance what the kids want. You want to give it to them, but you also want to educate them. Like we had so many parents email us and say like, "Thanks for offering my child the chance to try quinoa. They liked it, and now." I'll go buy it where I wasn't going to spend that high cost at the grocery store and we can get that quinoa at a much better cost than the average family can because of mm. our our discounts in school, you know, the way the the costing work, the wholesale costing. So,
1: yeah. Speaking on on that um with kids, particularly with physical education and sports, that lifelong learning process is is started very early. As far as like, hey, you can play golf the rest of your life and we're offering that in gym class or cross-country skiing or whatever, you know. But that education starts early and to get kids into uh, being active for the rest of their lives. Are you using opportunities to educate the children early on about nutrition, what they can do to actively be involved in what they're putting in their bodies? And do you do that over lunch or... Are there classes? How does that work?
2: So I, not every school district is doing that. I think that's kind of the end goal for many districts and for the school nutrition programs as they're a part of the school, you know. And we did it. I did it when I got to the school. Um, we had a couple like points where we were able to talk to the kids and really, you know, have that. That kind of nutrition education so we would have taste tests every Tuesday at lunch so we'd give them something right like Mm -hmm. let's just say a tablespoon of quinoa and they could just you know their first point of experience is their eyes you know it's not their taste it's going to be other senses their eyes and their smell and they're going to watch other kids try it they might not try it the first time right it takes kids seven to ten times of seeing something and to you know get used to it and feel comfortable with it and food shouldn't be stressful right it's like we would just give it to them and we'd be like this is quinoa we'd have posters this is all about quinoa like just look at it on your tray for 20 minutes you know like just (laughs) just sit with the quinoa and like (laughs) no pressure to try it and then we would get kids to they would get more comfortable with it and we saw like by middle school they were all eating it and they were perfectly fine with it and then in uh, middle school i was in the classroom so i would as a part of the health education i went in and developed a nutrition curriculum with our health teachers so i had one for the sixth grade seventh grade and eighth grade so not only were we doing nutrition education but i was able to get in front of kids and say what do you want on your lunch menu what can we do for you so Like they said, baked potato bar, we put it on the menu and it sold out, you know? So it's like, just listen to what they were saying, built that rapport. And we had really great participation for a district that wasn't extremely high in the school nutrition world. We say free and reduced. Now it's, it's people are eating for free right now. It's, you know, it's kind of complicated, but (laughs) um, that whole portion Mm. of it, but, um, So we really had people wanting, choosing to eat at our program, which is what you want, right? You want people to want to eat the food you're putting out. So then at the high school, we'd actually have kids develop menu items, pick it, do the nutrition, um, and then come create it and serve it with us. So they got an idea of like what Mm. this is like, you know, what is creating school meals like? What does it look like when like 800 high school students rush you for their lunch in this little hallway, you know, and you got to start serving? So they <laughs> got that whole experience and really made us a part of the school, which helped, you know, increase participation. So that was great.
1: Did you see a change in students' attitudes? Like maybe uh, when, when they're on that side of the serving line? Did, I, I bet it was just a massively eye-opening thing anybody who's never been in food service mm-hmm. I and I, I've, I've said this before I think I think there should be mandatory food service for everybody in this country yeah just you know spend a year in food service and, yeah. and we would all be better as humanity but <laughs>
2: yeah we'd be kinder. <laughs> yeah for sure
1: for sure <laughs> um, but do you, what type of growth do you see within the students who participate actively in, in your programs at the high school level
2: They definitely had an appreciation, you know, kids that were at the beginning when I first got to the classroom they were just like, you know, you have those kids that are like, I just want my donuts back. You know, they're (laughs) like yelling at me. I'm like, well, come see, like learn about what we're doing, learn about the regulations, learn about this box. We have to fit food in, in school nutrition. You know, you can't serve whatever you want. You have to get creative. Like the cost, you know, they had to cost out the menu. They had to make sure it fit, you know, so They, they were definitely saw it through different eyes and more supportive and all the other work we did too helped with that. You know, we, by, by being in the schools, which is not something every school nutrition program can do because not everyone has a chef or someone that makes that community outreach, but it definitely made them more comfortable coming in, you know, and talking about what they wanted. But, overall, I have to say, like, with that being said, like, the relationship between school nutrition employees, and I've been in many kitchens across the country, just as a consultant, like, not working, just observing. And, you know, these, these men and women kind of serving food to students, they, they know their names, they know their family, the students come to them to talk to, I mean, there's like, one of our yearbooks got dedicated to one of our school nutrition employees at our high school. I mean, that's, the kind of connection that they make to these kids. And part of it is because, you know, they're the same familiar face when they're changing classrooms every year, when their friendships kind of come and go, this person serving them lunch is, is that consistent face for them. So it's, it's kind of like a a beautiful thing, a beautiful relationship. And that happens and one that doesn't get highlighted as much as it should.
1: No, you're, you're absolutely yeah. right. Cause as you said that, I'm remembering from way back when I was in high school, that was one of the consistents. And, uh, I, I for the life may can't remember her name, but we all called her ma. That yeah. was our, our, yeah. our lunch lady. <laughs> and, and she held a special place in our hearts because she was always there. She was always sweet mm-hmm. and, and she, she took care of us. And, uh, it was a consistent. And I think it absolutely makes sense to make these people centralized in the education and nutrition for these for these students that's that's wonderful
2: and you know i think that it's that's that's what i hear all the time is that you know everyone remembers one of their you know quote-unquote lunch ladies right it's like that Mm -hmm. experience that they have and or lunch dudes as they're called in some places you know so it's like i think (laughs) i think that that should be highlighted more than it is but unfortunately like you know twitter gets a hold of a picture that's not even accurate and it's turns into this like thing you know and that's Mm -hmm. that's the part that kind of bums me out when i see that is because obviously with all news we never know the whole picture right you know we're Mm -hmm. never getting the whole story but that's that's really um usually it's not that picture is not the whole story (laughs) of that lunch for true yeah
0: so sitting in your consultant chair uh it's all the great things we've talked about with a program when it's up and running and all these great things it does but what about those schools that are getting into this you know how how do you go about helping them to get into the program is it more on the the cook side of it is it just education or where do you kind of how do you approach that if you go into a school district that isn't really doing much of this at the, at the moment.
1: Yeah. The ones that are serving out of a hallway with a microwave.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah, well, I'm currently kind of doing that with a district like that, which is why it was fresh in my mm. mind. But, you know, I go in and I do a well-rounded evaluation. You know, I shadow, I see what their program, how that works. And then, I always go to like, I don't know, minutes, like that's where my mind goes, like, because everyone never has enough time to do anything. So I like to help them find time because we can all have, you know, it's there. It's just how we use our time, right? Um, so that's what I do is I go in and I find where change, you know, where the minutes are missing, where you're kind of could create changes and what the change could be. And that takes some time. You got to, you have to see a program you know over a cup the course of a couple weeks to a couple months to really understand how it flows, um, especially in school nutrition. And so mm. I think that that's always the starting point. And then whenever you start to create change, like I didn't walk into my district you know when I started in schools and say like all right and we were scratch cooking after the first year. no it took it took a while to change. It's like that you know that motto of small changes, over time lead to big results. And then all of a sudden one day you're like, whoa, how'd we get here? You know, all these small changes. Yeah. So that's what it is in school nutrition more so than anything. It's the small changes that you do, right?
1: Yeah. I bet that's probably your, one of your number one excuses that you hear is like, there's just not enough time. Yeah. I don't, how, how can we do this? There's not enough time. and then, And then you hit them with the time analysis report and yeah. you're like, well, here you go. Here's your yeah, time. <laughs>
2: exactly. I just wish I could do that in my own life with like my kids and oh. family. Never enough <laughs> <Now laughs> time to get stuff done around uh, the house. Preaching uh, to the choir on that one. <laughs> uh, but in the kitchen, I could find it.
0: <laughs> do you get those situations where you go in and you try to tell someone like this is going to be the better way, and get that resistance back? Like, nope, nope, it's not going to work. We've tried that, or I've, I know that won't work. And mm-hmm. you know what do you do? Just stay persistent with them and give it a try, right?
2: Well, you know, my my like no one's ever going to do anything if they're pushed into a corner and you're forcing them to do it. Right. I know I wouldn't for sure. So my kind of approach is always just plant seeds. You know, that's kind of what like I did when I worked for the district with my um, this, my staff who were maybe resistant. I'd be like, well, let's, let's just try it. Right. Like you think your way is faster. I think my way is faster. Let's like race and make it fun and see what happens. <laughs> and then like, you know, kind of try to make it fun and see the benefit. But just really planting the seed and then letting that kind of occur on its own because once you plant the seed and someone sees that there is potential they need to sit with it for a while and wrap their brain around it but you know they usually make a change in that direction I've, I've almost always seen that even if it's one small change that's like a huge win because that's a step in the right direction and that's how it starts right you can't start with more than one step. Mm.
0: So I don't know if you if you took this term from carpentry or if carpentry took this term from kitchens, but there's a saying in carpentry, measure twice, cut once. Mm-hmm. And you said something earlier, cook once, serve twice. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to go there too. Nice. <laughs> Would you just explain where, where you see that working or what that concept is in, in the schools?
2: Sure. So that's one thing that we very much like, that's how you're going to scratch cook in schools. Like you're never going to do it if you're making everything every time, right? You have to think about your menu because the menu usually, like if you're running like a pretty tight program, which you want to do, you should have some sort of, we call them cycle menus, right? Every two to four to six weeks, it repeats and starts over again. And then at the end of the year, you can say... This one was a bust this one was a win and you kind of do that it's how restaurants do it too right with their menus so um, when we're creating our menus we would get like pork you um we would get in pork shoulder right so we're roasting all that up and then we you know put it in our standing mixer and shred it in 60 seconds which is the best hack that i've ever found in school nutrition to make pulled pork and then we put that in the freezer, right? Maybe we'll serve some that day or the next day, and then we'll put the rest in the freezer. So, like, for example, our we would have a baked potato bar, and we would have that on Monday. But the only thing we were really doing on Monday was baking our potatoes. So we would have chili as a topping, but we made extra the last time we had chili as the entree, and so we had extra. We had our pulled pork, right? We had cheese sauce that we made before that we're just pulling out of the freezer and and reheating. So it's like all your toppings have been made before, but they're scratch made, right? You made them, you're just pulling mm-hmm. them out of your freezer. So that's kind of the concept of you know cook once, serve twice and making sure, so.
1: So I imagine you probably have some sort of guide or resources out there for schools who are interested in something like that. Or have you written a book or anything like that? <laughs>
2: <laughs> no. I should just start writing stuff down. Anyways, but um, we, I, we started a website, um, a, co- a colleague and myself. When I was in schools, it was really hard to find. You need... A specific recipe for schools right they just can't pull something off the internet and say i want to make this for 500 and it's going to work out great right you need something called a standardized recipe and also in school nutrition we have meal components right and you have vegetable subgroups and you have to meet all this stuff over the course of the week so there's like a lot of it's almost like a Um, A lot of people kind of equate it to a a Sudoku puzzle, right, and how you place your vegetables. Like there's a a reason why, you know, you have sweet potatoes one day, regular potatoes, Mm -hmm. one's a red orange, one's a starchy. And those are two different subgroups that you have to meet throughout the course of the week. So you kind of understand there's like this puzzle to it. I think that we, it was hard to find recipes, you know, they're just kind of tucked away in different corners of the internet. So we started a website called Healthy School Recipes where we tried to gather all the school nutrition recipes that were hidden in PDFs all over the internet from different organizations and put them on one site that was searchable. Like you got corn Mm. in your freezer, search corn and here's all of your recipes you can use.
0: As Justin mentioned, we've kind of talked about our childhood and way different than what's going on now in schools. <laughs> and when did you when do you think that started to shift? When did the was it the drive from the parents to, to do it better? Was it just people like yourselves that saw opportunity to to do things better? Was it where did it shift and when do you think it started?
2: For uh, well the Healthy um, Hunger-Free Kids Act is what that was actually before I came into school nutrition, but that is where the regulations started to change. There were always regulations, but kind of what What hit schools is that that started to be more like on food groups, right, on serving food groups in schools and these requirements and you can't be serving desserts and they had, you know, sodium, like now it's really sodium is a big one. But part of that is because, you know, if you think way back in the day and sometimes I'll see this in a kitchen and it's like unbelievable, it looks like this little like Star Wars robot, but it's like a bread roll maker. And it's like the coolest machine ever. And you put like just trays of dough that have been cut up and it shakes and rolls them. And it's, it reminds me of something out of Star, Star Wars. But hmm. schools will still have those, and but schools don't really make their rolls anymore. Because what happened is probably in the 80s and 90s, there started to be this shift. I'm not sure exactly when because I was born in the 80s. So I wasn't, I'm not totally attuned to that time in school nutrition, but um like it started just going to this processed food route, right? Like, oh, wow, look, we can buy this for really cheap. So let's bring this in. And then districts started to sell off some of that equipment that they had because before then they were scratch cooking, right? These, you know, after in the 50s, 60s, 70s, it was pretty much scratch cooking in these school nutrition kitchens. So, then it kind of went towards processed food and they sold off a lot of equipment and then the healthy, which was a money-making opportunity for them, but then comes the Healthy Hunger Free Kid Act and they need to start putting more weight on, you know, sodium and fat and paying attention to all these things more clearly and offering subgroups, but they don't have that equipment. So the transition back to scratch cooking has been a lot harder than it was kind of getting out of scratch cooking, you know, and defaulting to processed foods. But we're getting there slowly. So I would say like the late, you know, the late, what are they called? 2000s, early 2000s. I'm not even sure what we call that time. Is that, (laughs) no, the 90s (laughs) or the 90s, the late
1: 2000s. Call them them the aughts. I don't know.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So anyways, that time period about, you know, 10, 12 years ago is when this change really started to occur and, we had to work towards this new goal. And even since the time I started in schools in 2013, it it's changed, you know, you see many more chefs in school, you see, you know, chefs in schools, you see this drive to kind of be part of the change and give more resources to schools. And the fact that schools through COVID have been able to offer universal free meals, I mean, that's always something I've been passionate about. Kids should go ride the school bus, Get their books. They can use a computer, and they should be able to eat at school and not have to worry about that. So, luckily, Maine—you mm-hmm. know—I'm grateful to live in Maine, where our we've passed legislation on a state level that we will be continuing universal free meals regardless of what happens federally. So, I think Maine and California are the only ones. Wow! But as of right now, That's as it stands cool. today, you know they're going to have to go back to paying, which is going to be really hard for school nutrition programs because it was. Quite a bit of debt of people not paying, because I think people also feel like I have to pay for school meals, you know. So <laughs> if someone does. Yeah,
0: yeah. It's
2: a tricky thing.
0: You know, you deal with so many different schools. I, I'm wondering if at any point you do you have those moments where you sit back and you look out at at the change and and see the kids, and do you ever give yourself that pat on the back and think? Boy, what what a what a great thing has has happened here at this place, and you had a part in that. Does that yeah, is that what yeah. drives
1: you? Did you get to that? Are there are there any school districts that you're particularly proud of too? Yeah, that that just like wow, it was here and now it's here.
2: Yeah, I think um, I have that a lot. Like when one child or one person tries something and they're like, and it happens all the time, but it still feels just as awesome every time it happens is they're like, I didn't like Brussels sprouts. And I liked, I liked the way I cook these. I like the way you taught me. I like the way you served them. And I'm like, yes, like you have just changed someone's food life, you know, and the way they're going to eat and the way they're going to perceive. And that's something I try to like really tell kids, like, what if you didn't try that and it's like the best thing you ever tasted and like you miss all these years of eating this super delicious like it's not it's just to me it's like of course i'm going to try it no matter what if i don't like it you know hopefully one i'm not allergic but two you know worst case scenario (laughs) try to keep that a lot of food allergies in schools but like you know you you just spit it out or you don't like it or it's over in a short amount of time but what if you love it you just have a whole new appreciation for food but one project that i'm super excited about that i'm working on right now that is just like fulfilling like my my bucket so to speak is i'm working with a school district that actually started about a year and a half ago that with another school district got grant funds during covid to create these culturally important meals so we have a lot of um, african immigrants in maine and so really using the school nutrition program to create these recipes that are as authentic as you can get you know to their cuisine obviously like the produce we grow here is different but so we've been working with a woman who is uh, immigrant herself and she's been teaching you know me all how she cooks and i've been taking her recipes and putting into that school nutrition box and uh, making it work and we're taste testing it with three different high schools in Portland. And we did it a couple weeks ago, the first taste test. And it was just, I mean, magical is an understatement because Mm. these students, you could see that they were so excited that it was food they recognized, flavors they recognized, and Mm. just that conversation of like, you know, their comfort food is not mac and cheese and fries. Like this is their comfort food and we can serve it to them because they should have delicious food. And we can understand their culture better and serve meals for them. And they were just so excited. Like the joy on their face that this taste test brought them and the potential that it could be one of their school lunch options was just like I've, that was probably one of the best feelings I've ever had is seeing the happiness and Mm. just like, yes, they they see me and what I want and I'm a part of this community and we're all here and how food brings people together. It was just like it was awesome and then it started conversations too with students who have never had that food before and was like these flavors they were di- they they wanted to talk about it everyone wanted to talk about it and that's where the change happens you know and in this time acceptance on all levels you know let's let's do it through food where that platform can be fun and non you know kind of maybe not as challenging as some other platforms for that conversation so it was just like it was it was beautiful to watch and to see their reception to it because we weren't totally sure how that was going to go. So we have two more taste tests and I'm super excited for those.
0: Oh, that, that's awesome. And it's clear that, that really gave you um, a lot of satisfaction and, and something you enjoy doing is bringing these new experiences to people. And so as a, as a classically trained chef and a former personal chef, do you ever miss that experience in the kitchen? Like being able to bring people those new foods and, and do you miss the time that you you know, spent as a personal chef and that kind of relationship with people at close with food?
2: I do. I mean, I like the personal chef. Uh, That was not, I mean, I liked restaurants, but it was kind of the same thing every night. I liked personal chefing because it it changed and I had a pretty um, pretty loose budget, so to speak. So it was like the total opposite of schools. Um, But (laughs) it also, you know. I miss trying new things regularly and you know when you're as I'm sure many chefs are like this I know it's not just me but like when I'm cooking all day in the kitchen that's kind of the last thing I want to do at home so it's been nice removing myself from the day-to-day grind of a school nutrition kitchen for a little while because I'm consulting and I'm in the kitchen but I'm able to explore more at home and I have that desire to cook because I'm not doing it you know nine hours a day Mm -hmm. so um That's been nice. But I do miss that kind of when I'm in schools, I try to, you know, bridge the gap between the food trends that you see in restaurants and how can we put that, especially local in our community. And how do we get that in school? I mean, that's the gap that we're always bridging. But I miss playing with like, you know with more expensive food and I do, you know, that's, (laughs) that's inspiring too, but Uh this cultural meals project has really, really been nice and kind of looking at food through a different lens, which is what we all want, that innovation that kind of keeps you. And then if all other schools kind of take this on and you just create that change and it feels, I like that innovation of food and school nutrition because there's just so much room for it and students want it. People want it.
0: Yeah. Do you see kids becoming foodies at younger ages now than ever before?
2: I think so. You know, I do too. I totally think with the food network, they're into it, right? It's all over the place. I mean, they're, they're watching these food shows. My son loves this show. That's like, is it cake? I don't know if you've seen it. It's like, you know, it's not food. It's, but he's, they seeing cakes and the potential and it's just like this food culture that we have here. And I think it's, I think absolutely. And teaching them at a young age, like how to talk about food, you know, and understand, like, that's a big part of the nutrition education is like, you know, yucky, that doesn't, that doesn't let me know what you think about the food at all. Like, that's like, your yuck is different than my yuck or my yum is different than your yum. So is it sweet? Is it sour? Like really using these descriptive words really helps them navigate how they're going to eat for the rest of their lives, right? Like, Mm -hmm identifying ingredients, what they taste like, you know, the, the bitter, the different flavors it might bring. And so Mm -hmm. how they can navigate in the food choices they make, I think is one of the most important things for younger kids to wrap their head around, you know, lose that yuck. Right.
0: Right. And you're right. There's their palates and their knowledge. I remember I was quizzing at some kids, they were about eight years old on what they were eating. And I was asking, challenging them to guess some of the ingredients and like an eight year old guessed creme fraiche. Uh, what the heck (laughs) how do you even know that yeah
2: yeah that's awesome yeah
0: (laughs) Yeah, as an eight-year-old kid well anyway
2: yeah i mean and they because their palates you know i i wish i could go back and re-experience food as a little kid because they're just so alive you know mine have been like burnt and tore up over time so it's like you know and as you get (laughs) older you just lose a little bit of your taste so i would love to go taste food like that again and With an appreciation for it, Mm -hmm. you know, because their palates are so, so alive, so sensitive.
1: I know that a lot of school districts would have a difficult time justifying hiring a consultant. Mm -hmm. What are some of the the cases that you make for yourself or for your, your field in general as a school nutrition consultant?
2: So one the benefits to hiring someone to come into your school district as a consultant is you don't have to pay them benefits which cost a lot of money. So <laughs> you're just pay you know you can get grant funds, you can you know get that's how most of my work is is covered is grant funds, right? So people mm-hmm people get grant funds for me to come in and farm to school grants, whatever it may be. And then that is how, how that works. That's how a lot of school districts do it. I know some other chefs that go on and off with different school districts and that's also grant funds. So that's a, that's a big part of it. Um, I think that anyways, it's a, it's a long-term investment and at some point for your school nutrition program you have to decide the direction you want to go in and you have to take that step and by hiring someone full-time or as a consultant you're kind of preparing to make change and if you're kind of have this outline of how you want to make change usually your administration supports it. And that's really the only way it's going to happen. If your school nutrition program is not supported by your superintendent, you're pretty much, I don't want to say dead in the water, but close to it, right? You have Mm -hmm. to have admin support to make change. And that's another problem in the school nutrition um, field. So, that has to happen. But consultants, like I said, you don't have to pay in benefits. So that's the biggest thing. But I really try to, you know, just help schools. Our, re- our website, Healthy School Recipes, we have culinary skills. We want things to be free. In school nutrition, we are the beauty of it versus the restaurant business is we are all working together. Like here, you know, I can't steal another school district's customers because that's not how it works, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. I've never thought of it that way, yeah. but that's so true. So yeah. we all, are whereas restaurants have that competition, we all work together. So we're all trying to help each other. So most resources are free. If someone's charging school nutrition programs for resources, that's tricky, just like straight resources. Um, Mm. because they just don't have money to spend on that. So really looking for grant funds. And then there's different organizations that help kind of develop these resources. Like everything on Healthy School Recipes is free. It's free to the user. It's, you know, we're trying to, we develop recipes with different boards. Um, So, you know, there's a board for every fruit vegetable item out there you could imagine. So taking those those items and creating recipes for schools is kind of how we're, you know, we make that work. And it's a great opportunity to implement like, you know, foods like lentils into schools, right? Red lentils are way easier than garbanzo beans for making like a puree and a dip and way better. And they have great flavor and you can almost stir them and make the dip. You don't need a food processor. You know, if you ever try to process, a number 10 can of garbanzo beans. And that gets you like, I don't know, 10 servings of hummus. Like (laughs) when you have to serve 500, (laughs) like that's daunting. You can't really do that. It becomes tricky. So finding these little tips that really help school nutrition programs create these healthier options for students is is what it's about for no cost to them. So really, I guess if that answers your question and some.
1: Oh yeah, certainly. Yeah. And I
2: feel like once someone sees another school district do something and the impact it has on the community, they want to replicate that right They want to bring that to theirs. It's kind of inspiring and and contagious in a wonderful way, I guess. <laughs> so
1: most definitely And I think a big part of that is capturing the testimonies of the students mm-hmm. to really see, the benefit and I'm, I'm a photo video guy so i'm all about that end of it you know yeah. but i think if you can like really capture what students are saying how they're saying it and then sharing that so like letting everybody know this is worth it mm-hmm. you know this is not change that's just happening in our district this is change that's happening for the rest of their lives so yeah. that's i think that's wonderful
2: yeah that's what it's about you know creating that long-term change and just like you said with like physical education like you nutrition needs to be on there too you know in Maine's most a lot of districts have gotten rid of like we call it family and consumer sciences home ec so we really saw in my district that I worked in we saw a gap where like these kids aren't like learning to cook at all like they're getting like a few classes on nutrition and that's it but we need to We need to like teach them. And where does your food come from? We took them on a, we took one sixth grade class on a field trip to a a local farm and we milked cows. And then I brought that milk back the next week and we like learned all about the milk cycle and the cows and how it works, you know, and then we milked cows, which was the most fun part. And then we went back the next Mm -hmm. week and we took that milk and we made mozzarella cheese. And then we made pizza with it in the classroom. So it was like this full circle opportunity for them to understand where their food comes from. Like, all kids should have the opportunity to know that, right? Like, to experience that and understand that. That's what I think, you know. So it's mm-hmm. kind of sad when you see those programs get get bumped for math when you're like, cooking is math, you know. I do a lot of math.
1: And this math you'll actually
0: use.
2: Yeah, yeah <laughs> Totally.
0: Absolutely. All right. Uh, well, Sam, um, thank you for today. I think it's been just a, a fantastic podcast with us and we appreciate everything and the insights and uh, some of the ways that you're helping to um, to move that needle over to more healthy, educated kids. Before we let you go, though, I, I'd like to know that anything you've had throughout your career where someone has maybe uh, had a uh, quote or some words of, of wisdom or something that you've heard that guides you or you remember. Uh, Is there something like that you could share with our listeners today?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So it's a quote by uh, Maya Angelou that I think is, it just, I think about it almost every day, especially in the kitchen. And it's the one where she says, um, do the best you can until you know better. Then when you know better, do better. Because I think that that just is what it's about you know, and you just keep creating that change, whether it's in your personal life or through food, right? Once you know how to cook it better, you cook it better, right? It applies to every That's aspect right. of life. And if we keep growing like that, hopefully we'll all we'll all grow in the same direction.
0: Right. Continual learning. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Yes, indeed. Well, again, thank you so much for today, and I uh, wish you uh, the best of luck uh, going forward and converting more schools and getting kids enjoying more quinoa and other yeah. <laughs> unique things they maybe haven't had before. So thank you again for everything, and have a great rest of your Absolutely.
2: week. Absolutely. Great talking with you guys. Thank you so much.
0: Well, hey, that was fun, Justin. huh? I mean, always some good things when we get uh, our guests on the show. Fun stuff.
1: Particularly with chefs involved with school nutrition. Yeah. Uh, i'm just always learning something new and amazed at what the kids are able to be presented with and also quite a bit jealous that i didn't have that same level of exposure at that young age yeah but you know it's it's really good to see that people care enough to do something and to do something that is life altering and she she Sam said it's something that I'd like to, uh, change your food life you know mm. then mm-hmm. and that is so true like that is what a powerful thing to have a little bit of influence over exactly
0: I, I really enjoyed it I, I was into the interview with her today um, it was fun just to sit and listen and and we had I think we just had a great conversation which when we're in the conversation we we don't have to worry about our summary at the end of the show because we have Nate's notes, right? Let's bring Nate on and get uh, Nate's take on the show and help us make sure that we remember everything that our guests spoke about today. So, Nate, would you take it away, please?
3: Well, thanks, Rich, and I'm gonna right away gonna echo Justin. I too am jealous that I did not get these experiences in school <laughs> as a kid, and I like I would I mean looking back now I would have loved that. Um, I'd love it now. At this point in my life, it'd be great to be able to get some hands-on learning and just education on these kind of things. The thing that really kept popping into my head throughout uh, your conversation with Sam, schools are tasked with a lot of things. They answer to a lot of people. They answer to governments. They answer to parents. They answer to students. And to see the level of care and time and love that gets put into food service by so many people like Sam. And I mean, scratch cooking and taste tests, like, come on, that's that, there's a lot of love required (laughs) to make that happen. But viewing food as education, because Justin, you mentioned it with like lifelong sports and learning that in Fayette, but also so many of the complaints and gripes you hear about school come from the basis of, well, you're not going to need a lot of this stuff in the future. You're never going to use this. But food, food is something you encounter. Your food life is part of your life every single day. Everyone eats to some extent every single day. And I think it makes so much sense to look at it from an educational standpoint that this is a teachable moment to build good habits and to really enrich the lives of students in a meaningful way that they will for sure carry with them throughout the rest of their lives and it was it was just fun to hear sam talk about that the other thing that came up rich your head was right in the same place mine was as Sam started describing getting bulk food, bulk produce from just down the street and and then having to, having to do something, like making a purchase in bulk at a great price, but then having to do something with it and process it in a meaningful way, my head immediately went to Fresh Meals on Wheels in that episode that we did. That's like, mm-hmm. man, this is sounding really familiar. This is a very familiar situation instead yeah. of challenges, but also set of opportunities. And it's just cool. I don't want to be too blunt about it, but it's just cool to talk to people who basically have the mindset. I'm going to buy the best ingredients I can at the best price I can and figure the rest out. I know it's not always that easy, especially in schools with budget constraints, but it is really cool to, to hear from the perspective of someone who was just very determined to make that work. And I I just think that's incredible. And a lot of similarities to fresh meals on wheels in that regard, but that, yeah, the main thing that stuck with me was food as an educational tool or as an educational opportunity at such a young age, um, to be able to have an impact on so many young lives and to be so intentional um, about making it fun and making it memorable. Um, I think it's awesome. Uh, so much cool stuff today. It was it was good. And I, I'll
0: add one more point to what you said. You said every day people need to eat, but it's not a one time. It's, it's You can eat several times throughout the day yeah. and there's so many different day parts. You can have experiences with new foods. Um, It it really is a big part of people's day, I think. Well, some of us more than others, but... uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, You know, there's just so many opportunities throughout the day to enjoy good food. That's, I guess, the point. So, perfect. Thank you, Nate. That was awesome. Great job. Um, It's just fun for me to listen to you because when we're in the conversation, it's different. And then being able to sit back and and you, you remind me of all these great thoughts. So thank you once again for... Your notes today. Appreciate it very much. My pleasure. We're going to wrap this one up,
1: Justin. Any last thoughts from you? Yeah, I would once again like to remind everybody to hit that subscribe button so that you never miss another moment or conversation with a chef or food service industry professional again. And while you're at it, in the same breath, if you would take a moment, share with a family member, a friend, a co-worker, somebody that you would think would gain value from the conversations that take place here. We would greatly appreciate it, and we know they would greatly appreciate it. Absolutely. And we we love
0: feedback, everyone. Please just let us know what you think, good, bad, ideas, whatever you have. You can reach us at com slash the feed. And, again, just to wrap up the show on my last note here, as as always, uh, just kind of reiterating a philosophy, I guess, more than anything. My dad shared um, in his restaurant, and it was always... He didn't care as much about the money. He just wanted a place that people could relax, enjoy a good meal, and have fun. And he always believed that uh, that should be your guiding principles. And, well, the restaurant's been in business 43 years now, so I guess it worked. So thanks, everybody, for listening today. Have a great week ahead. Until next time, take care.